everybody. Welcome back to Artist Avenue. Uh, once again, we are working with the Kubert School to bring you some really interesting interviews. And uh, this time around, I think I'm going to let Lloyd introduce it. So uh, take it away, Lloyd. What's going on, everybody? It's Lloyd Briggery, the events coordinator for the Kubert School. And this is another exciting episode of Behind the Tracing Paper. Today, we have in our midst an editor for the first time, all the way from Dark Horse, and he's doing freelance on his own, Brandon Wright. All right, have a seat, man. We got to climb up here. Hi there, everybody. Hello. All right, so, Brendan, you just flew in, right? Yes, I'm You're, straight here from the airport. From, yeah, from, and you flew in from Portland, right? From Portland, Oregon, from yeah. From Portland, Oregon. So uh, thank you so much, man, for joining us, man. We really appreciate for you sure. taking I the time. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, man. So uh, I think the burning question for everybody is um, you, uh, you're, you're Fernando's editor, right? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> right? How, how many people have had Fernando as an instructor here? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so what's it like? <laughs> um, I mean, really, it was it was great. Um, um, did we did we even see scans of this stuff, or did you just send it in? Okay, we saw scans, and I think I think like there were there were a few very small things, but for the most part, like uh, all the stuff was there. Everything, uh, you know, like a bunch of great background gags got added in. This was on Archie versus Predator. Yes. Um, which. Uh, <laughs> 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 That's right. Um, it is his birthday too, so buy it for him. <laughs> so that was written by uh, a writer named Alex DeCampi, and the way that Alex typically writes a script is there's a little bit of explanation at the beginning of the kind of things she's looking for, but then it says, you know, but you're the artist, go ahead. Um, so then her scripts will be very detailed, but with that sort of understanding of, you know, if you have a different way you want to do things, go ahead and suggest it or just go ahead and try it. Um, Alex and Fernando, I think, put a pretty good rapport together pretty fast. And, yeah, we just, we, we were sort of constantly surprised by background gags and other neat things. Um, I wish I had, like, a good story of, of, like, when we butted heads or when something crazy happened, but I, I just, I don't think that happened at all. Um, you guys need to listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that's awesome, man. So, uh, so how did how does one become an editor? Like, what was your what was your path into becoming an editor full time? Um, every single person I worked with has a different one. Right. Um, I always kind of felt like a fraud because I was one of the only people in the Dark Horse editorial department without um, an English degree. Right. Uh, I went to film school at USC, okay. and for a long time. LA and film were what I wanted to do, but I was a comic book fan. Right. Um, eventually, I sort of realized that LA and film weren't quite clicking for me, and mm -hmm. I tried doing film in Portland for a while and did that for a bit, but it, it, there isn't really a Portland film industry. Uh. This was a hoax that was perpetrated upon me. <laughs> um, and so, since I was already from Portland and Dark Horse was there and Periscope Studio was there, although they were called Mercury Studio at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and just a bunch of comics people were there. I thought, I've always loved comics. I could give this a try. Right. Um, and so I sort of did everything I could think of. I went to all the cons. Uh, I was on the planning committee for the Stumptown uh, Comics Fest when that was a thing. Nice. Um, I started up a blog. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just sort of became a face to people until eventually, like, I just started getting asked, like, I see you at a lot of these. Who are you? Mm -hmm. um, and I took a bunch of classes uh, from Diana Schutz at... Okay. Um, PSU and PCC, um, and eventually an assistant position working for her opened up, and she recommended me for it. 
Wow. Cool, man. It's really interesting. So um, what kind of parallels do you see in as far as like your background in filmmaking and, you know, the storytelling involved in, in comics? Is that, do you kind of rely on that to, to do your job better? You know, like where do you pull from? It's definitely very helpful. Wow. I mean, the way a comic script and the way a film script work are pretty different, but right. there are things that they have in common. Mm -hmm. And just kind of the ability to read a script critically right. and to sort of picture what the, uh, the description is going to translate into. Right. is pretty similar. Um, right. You know, part of the reason I decided I wanted to do comics is when I was in film school, I liked writing okay, I liked directing okay, but then I made a film um, in Portland that I was sort of planning while I was in L.A. And I'm on mm -hmm. the phone, uh, you know, with people who are casting the movie for me. They're casting mm -hmm. people I've never met. Right. We're sort of planning locations. I'm putting together shot lists from my scripts. Mm -hmm. And I sort of realized, oh, wait, I'm a producer now. Yeah. And I liked that much better. Okay. Um, directing is hard, uh -huh. and it's boring. <laughs> um, producing is fun, and you don't even have to be there when they make the movie if you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of put the pieces together and, and watch them work. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, so, and so when I wanted to do comics, I knew I wasn't a good enough writer or artist mm -hmm. to do either of those things, but right. I knew that I could like envision the way that a comic should come together right. and help the people who were better at writing than me and better at drawing than me uh. at doing their own jobs better and in, you know, in concert with each other. Right. Um, so that sort of impulse of I like producing translated to editing really well. Nice. Now that's a, that's a really good um, comparison there. Um, um, would you say so? Um, a part of your job is also like picking the, finding the chemistry. Like this person, their strengths will complement this other person's strengths. Like this writer will work well with this mm -hmm. this artist. Now, as far as um, artists go, um, do you also, like, well, have you, like, assembled, like, okay, this is going to be the penciler, this is going to be an inker, like, what is that process like as an editor, uh, and how detailed does it get? Is it just like, oh, well, you know, we, we need to give this guy a shot, and this, this person's available to do it, and you put them together and see what happens, or, like, how does that work? I mean, the first thing I always do, mm -hmm. you know, if I hire a penciler, I ask who they like to ink them. Okay. You know, if I hire someone who's a penciler and inker, I ask who they like to color them. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't always have a preference, or sometimes they have, like, the person that they've always dreamed would cover them. Right. And, you know, you, you reach out and, and try with them. Uh -huh. um, I, I did a project, um, uh, Terminator Salvation, with nice. Pete Woods. Mm -hmm. And that was a case where he and I discussed for a while, like, who should color it. Right. Um, and we, we batted around a couple ideas. Mm -hmm. And I'd been wanting to work with Matt Wilson for a long time, so I mentioned Matt Wilson. Right. And as it turns out, Pete had been wanting to work with him forever. Oh, wow. So we tried that out, and uh -huh. um, it's like the only time I've ever dealt with Matt where he had room in his schedule. So it just it was lucky. It's perfect kind of kind of lineup there. Yeah. Um, with something like Archie Predator, uh, yeah. as an example, like uh, that was something where we picked Fernando in conjunction with Archie. Because uh, Fernando is sort of who they often talk to for more action-y things or... <coughs> or things where the kids are in a different kind of environment than usual, but everything right. still looks on model. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that, I looked at a bunch of things, and I, I ended up with the Clod of Thunder, this um, Thor parody that he'd right. done, and yeah. looked at who the team was on that. Mm -hmm. um, Rich Kozlowski like, just seemed like the perfect inker over uh, Fernando, so we approached Rich. Nice. Um, for the coloring, um, Jason Millett had done a bunch of covers. Uh, he hadn't, I don't think, done a lot of interiors, but he'd done covers where the style was a bit more realistic, and it seemed like he knew how to do the Archie color palette, but bring a little more depth to it for this, you know, weirder story with aliens jumping out of bushes and shooting people. Right. Um, and then we had uh, John Workman letter it just because I always wanted to work with John Workman. Uh -huh. Okay, cool. So that one was for me. Nice. 
Oh, that's that's cool. So you you brought up lettering too, um, and uh, we do hand lettering here, uh, in, in to start, and then transfers over into digital lettering. Okay. Um, how much of that? Uh, how many people do you find still hand letter? I mean, from from your side of the fence, you're looking for a person to letter this. Like that's something you're considering when mm -hmm. you're assembling the team. Like how how much of that is actually you know as far as the priority? Man, I think I think outside of Archie Predator, the only book that I worked on that had hand lettering. Um, I worked on Usagi Ojimbo for a bunch of years, and, you know, Stan is obviously one of the best letterers in the business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Usagi just comes in complete. We just, mm -hmm. we photocopy it and basically send the photocopies to the printer. Yeah. Um, there's, sometimes he puts a comma in where it shouldn't be, but that doesn't usually happen. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, so, yeah, for, for lettering, um, at Dark Horse, uh, Nate Pikos is kind of our go-to guy, Blambot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we use Blambot an awful lot. Mm -hmm. uh, for some of the, the, the top-tier stuff like Conan and Buffy, they have long-standing relationships with Comicraft. Okay. Um, but I kind of I like to work with a variety of letterers just mm -hmm. to sort of, you know, keep projects feeling different and, and right. keep people that I think are good employed. Right. Um, sometimes you'll just sort of build teams, you know, mm -hmm. like. Rob Lee is somebody who's worked with Dan Jolly and Leonard Kirk a bunch, so when I've got them working together, I'll just sort of bring Rob Lee in and it'll feel like the team. Right. Uh, Joe Casey always works with Russ Wooten, so yeah. we'll bring in Russ Wooten. Yeah. Um, I feel like there are a lot of really good letterers, mm -hmm. but what you have are also just individual people who are part of a team and have a rapport and work well together. Right. Um, I mean, as an editor, a big part of what you're doing is just you know, if these three people can work together month in and month out and not want to kill each other, your life gets, you know, 100% easier. Right. Interesting. Uh, that, that does bring up a good point. So what do you do when they when they do want to kill each other? As, a, as an editor, like, are you like the mediator says, all right, kids, go to your corners and then make nice or what? <laughs> like, how's that work? Um, that can be really hard. Uh -huh. um, you know, sometimes it gets as bad as somebody decides they're not part of the team anymore. Uh-huh. And they leave, and you know you hope that doesn't happen. I've, right. I've had a couple blow-ups. Mm. Um, I've managed to bring some of them back from the brink, and some of them I haven't. Right. Um, you know, usually you can sort of tell very quickly. Mm. It's not something that like people have been working together for a while, and then they have a fight. It's it's usually like you can tell within the first couple issues that something's not clicking. And, right. You know, I I don't have a good story of like how to solve that. Uh. I mean, in part because I don't want to. I don't want to name anybody. Yeah, no. But no, also, no names, it, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is so situational. Right. It's usually a misunderstanding. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's just, oh, we thought that you guys were telling the same story and you aren't. Uh -huh. And in those cases, you usually, you know, unfortunately, the team just does have to change. Right. But you're you're the the I guess the the final decision maker as far as the direction of the story of, of where where you, uh, you see it going somewhat or I mean I work the... mostly on I, I've worked mostly on creator owned stuff right so really I'm there to help them do a better job but okay. you know what they ultimately want is what goes right um, you know when you're working on a creator owned thing yeah if you think that a decision is utterly terrible right and I haven't had that happen but right. if you do think that mm. kind of you can say we're not going to publish that okay but you can't really tell them how to write their story that they own. Okay. Um, or how to draw it, unless, you know, the writer and artist really disagree, and then somebody has to win. Right. Huh. That's Actually, I think that's really good to know, because I've heard it said that here at the school, uh, you have, ultimately, you have two kinds of artists mm -hmm. that, that come to the school. People that kind of want to work for a company, and people that want to do their creator own thing. Is that accurate, guys? Yeah. 
All right, how many how many uh, company people do we have? All right, how many creator own? Like, if you don't do this, you're gonna your head's gonna pop off, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I and mean, a lot I of think, people do go back and forth. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I think everybody we all work for money. I don't think we care where the money's coming <laughs> from, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. So I think that um, you know, I think it's awesome, you know, getting your point of view as far as like working with someone who has their own idea mm -hmm. but what it sounds like is essentially they come to you with this is what i want to say with the story and i need your help in helping me make that the best product it could be mm -hmm. is that about is that about right yeah mm -hmm. and and sometimes you know it's more just to be there to be reassuring you know i, uh -huh. I work with a couple people who need very little editing i mean stan is the ultimate example stan yeah. sakai needs no editing at all yeah um and he doesn't even really need help with the schedule he'll uh -huh. sort of say like oh man I, I i don't know if i can make it and then he'll turn it in early uh -huh. um, <laughs> but uh, but I know that you know even somebody like Stan who doesn't doesn't technically need you there to like make sure the work is done or is or is better because he's going to do it and it's going to be great. But he you know he just benefits from having somebody you know on the other end of the email. Yeah. You know somebody who's receiving the stuff and able to say yes I got this and it's good. Right. Right. Just um, like a presence like there. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I've I've made mistakes before. Like I've worked with really great artists who are so good and so universally acclaimed that you sort of forget that you have to still tell them it's really good. Mm -hmm. um, I had I had an artist who, you know, everybody loves, you know, actually just say to me like, "You don't really like my work, do you?" I'm like, oh, it's just because I forgot to tell you. <laughs> oh, I wow. assumed you knew. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we all need to hear that reassurance, man, all the time. That's like an artist thing. Well, and the same artist, actually, he'd been sending the work to all of his friends, and he hadn't been hearing back. Right. And the reason, I think, is all of them saw it. It was amazing. They were intimidated. They didn't know what to say. Yeah. But then he didn't hear anything back and just went, oh, God, they all hate it. Yeah. Oh, man. That's the worst feeling ever. Wow. So uh, so how many years with Dark Horse? Uh, seven almost to the day. Wow. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's Thank really you. cool. Yeah, I think this, yeah, definitely. Can you, um, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Like, you know, what you what you learn? Like, how did you, you know, like, what were some of the, the highlights of, of, the, of your time there? Um, well, so I started out working primarily for Diana Schutz, right. um, who, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of Diana. She's a fairly legendary editor. You know, she's Frank Miller's editor, or she was. She's retired now. But she was Frank Miller's editor. Um, she's, you know, she used to proofread Cerebus. Um, wow. You know, she discovered... Uh, Fabio Moon and uh, Gabriel Ba. Um, she was Matt Wagner's editor for years and years. Wow. She was Stan Sakai's cool. editor before me. Uh -huh. um, you know, so sort of, you know, from her, just, you know, to always be looking, always, always, you know, use your taste to the best of your ability. Right. Um, and, you know, just being there, you know, just being surrounded by really talented people who have been doing it for a long time. You do just pick up a lot of you know, sort of best practices of, of, you know, handling people and of reading scripts and of, right. you know, looking at layouts or, or just anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think the essential things of the job are, you know, just to have your taste and trust your taste mm -hmm. um, and to be really good with, um, you know, with managing a team and with sort of in a way where you're not butting into the creative process, kind of being sort of the cheerleader for the team and being sort of a member of the team in a way. Right, right. Um, you know, not with your name on the cover because that would be an I mean, honestly, I don't really know why editors have their name in the books at all. Wow. Um, it, 
it's I think it comes from the magazine tradition, but right. I don't know. It's well, I think I think we need to know so we'll know who to bug at cons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it would be hard to find out either way, but mm. but it is this sort of holdover from the fact that that comics come out of the magazine business, right? Because um, right. you know, if you look at like a novel or something, it doesn't list the editor. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's that's really interesting. Um, so your time at Dark Horse uh, is you know coming to an end now, but now you're doing something that's kind of like, I think it's really, really cool. It's kind of this niche thing as far as being a freelance editor. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about this on the way in, but kind of where do you see that going? And, and what is the value of that? What is the value of saying, okay, like I've, I've been with uh, the mainstream and just for a second, I like to, I love the dark horse to call the dark horse uh -huh. because they, that's literally what they are. And it's crazy because you look at the sales and stuff, and you're like, wow, Dark Horse right up there all the time. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, well, what do they put out? I don't know, but it's it's, it's working. <laughs> like, it's always selling, you know? Uh -huh. So I, I think it's really cool. But then to make the decision, like, I'm going I'm going independent. Like, mm -hmm. what, what, what got you to that point, and where do you see that going? Um, I mean, I spent, like I said, I spent seven years there. I started out as an assistant editor mm -hmm. um, and worked my way up, uh, actually only fairly recently, to full editor. Yeah. Um, they kind of have a philosophy that you you do the job for a year or more before you before you get the title. So, right. like as an associate editor, um, mm. I wasn't working for anybody, mm. and I was mostly working on projects I brought in. Mm. Um, but then the the title of editor came this year. Nice. Um, basically, I just sort of seven years is the longest I'd ever done anything. Yeah. And I kind of just I don't know. Mike Richardson is this self-made guy, and he'll talk about you know I was 29 years old and I had a credit card, and so I started a company. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not going, I'm not going that far, but right. I did kind of take away from that. Well, at a certain point, I do want to know what it's like to be my own boss. Uh -huh. um, you know, I'm, I'm just young enough that I, I don't own anything, so I can't really lose anything. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not tied to Portland or to uh -huh. my apartment or anything like that. I don't have a car. Uh -huh. um, I understand. You don't, you don't need one in Portland. <laughs> nice. Um, and so. You know, I talked to a bunch of people who had done it before, and there are actually a few. Um, mm -hmm. I talked to Rachel Edidin, who used to be an editor at Dark Horse and is now a freelance editor. And also, she is now internet famous for, um, she and her husband do the Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men podcast. Ah, uh, okay. Cool. Um, I talked to Lauren Sankovic, who used to be at Marvel. Mm -hmm. um, she's now the, whatever the title is, content manager or something. Okay. For um, Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick's company. Okay. Um, but she was freelance editing in between. Um, and so I just sort of got a bunch of feedback from people like, what do you actually do yeah. as a freelance editor? Do you make any money? Mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of surprised that the answer is, this isn't a very visible position in comics. Right. It's not something a ton of people are doing, mm -hmm. but there actually is a lot of, uh, a lot of demand for it. Right. You know, nowadays there's Kickstarter, mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of ways, you know, there's, there's the internet, there's a bunch of ways to... Um, publish your work and distribute your work without a traditional publisher, right. but people still want to have somebody to look over the, the script with them, look over the art with them. Right. You know, Maybe they don't want to handle the schedule. Right. Um, so it turns out that there is still a lot of work uh, that, that is out there. Um, right. My last day at Dark Horse was August 31st, so I haven't been doing this that long yet. Right. Um, and most of the bigger gigs I'm going to be doing are still in the negotiation phase. Right. Um, I'm coming on to a couple image series as editor. Um, nice. A few new ones, but also a couple of existing ones mm -hmm. where I've discovered around issue six, people realize, 
I don't want to be in charge of the schedule anymore. I don't want to be like calling the artist every day anymore. I want right. someone else to do that. Yeah. Um, so there will be some of that. But in the short term, I'm mostly doing like consulting work. Um, right. I have an hourly rate where someone will send me their pitch. I'll read their pitch. I'll you know write a long email with a bunch of feedback for it. Right. Um, you know either either if it's a project that it seems like I can I can help out with in the long term, I'll stay with the project. Right. There's one or two where it looks like that's going to happen. Okay. But then for the most part, I just you know I clock in a couple hours of back and forth with them, reading a few drafts of the pitch, and then you know they go their merry way and pitch it to some publishers, and hopefully wow. I I help make their pitch more saleable. Wow. Awesome. You guys. I hope y'all are taking notes. Because uh, now, here's my thing. Since it is kind of like you were saying, it's not a very visible position. Is there like a, a resource like online to find like, oh, you, this is a list of freelance editors. Or you just kind of got to stick around, keep your ear to the ground and, and say, oh, well, this guy's doing it. Or this yeah, I don't, doing I don't it. think there is a resource. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember looking for that sort of thing myself. And right. I just kind of knew, you know, like when, when Lauren left Marvel, for instance, that got a lot of press. Right. Um, you know, when Rachel left Dark Horse, I knew about that because I was a Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. um, when I left Dark Horse, um, that, that got a lot of press too. <laughs> I, I I worked pretty hard on that. That was that was kind of my test of like uh -huh. I'm used to having a PR department. Yeah. Am I able to get PR on my own? Yeah. And so you know, sort of secretly, whilst I was whilst I was you know planning my 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 finishing stuff at Dark Horse. Right. Um, you know, I was reaching out to Bleeding Cool and to Comics Reporter and stuff. Nice. Um, <gasps> just sort of seeing, nice. will anyone care? Mm -hmm. And and you know they they cared just enough. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was definitely a headline in my newsfeed for sure. Um, that's that's really cool. So I think what these guys want to know is how how does one work for a freelance editor? Like, and I think we were talking about this in the car. Um, what what is it that they should be doing? They're going to New York Comic Con for the next four days. Like, what what kind of feedback and advice can you give them as far as approaching editors? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, etiquette, and we talk about this stuff all the time. So you know, they have a good idea, but they've never heard it from an editor before. Sure. So, uh. well, I mean, in terms of a freelance editor, you don't you don't work for a freelance editor. Freelance editor works for you. So you're the one. You go out. It's not like, hey, I'm a freelance editor. Give me all your ideas. You're mm -hmm. you're gonna look around and you're gonna you're fishing, right? Yeah. That's um, how it works. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people I'm gonna be working with mm -hmm. are people that I was already working with at Dark Horse. Right. Right. Like either either they had an image project that was coming up, or mm -hmm. you know, we were just like. You know, I'm not a dark horse anymore, but we still want to work together. Right. Um, and there are actually a few people that, while I was at Dark Horse, I bugged for years and years and years to pitch at Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. uh, never quite got around to it, mm -hmm. but, you know, we're still talking about the same project. It just won't be a Dark Horse project now. Right. Um, in terms of approaching an editor uh, who is on staff somewhere, I mean, a great start is just to be friendly, just to, you know, get to know them maybe a little outside of that context. You know, they're, they're going to be aware that you're an artist. They're going to be aware that you're somebody who ultimately will want to pitch them stuff. But, you know, if you're just somebody that they can talk to about um, American Horror Story or... Um, are students here old enough to drink? <laughs> or, or, you know, if, or just someone they can get a beer with. Um, you know, that, that goes a long way. Um, I, I think it's probably not all that different than how I started out as an editor, which is you just you go to things... You make friends. You become a face. Mm. Ultimately, you know, they eventually know what your art looks like. Mm. They're looking for an artist. You know, most editors want to go with someone they know. Mm. You know, they want to discover somebody new. Um, and in many cases, you know, you guys would be that. But they also, you know, if they're already comfortable with somebody, if they already have a rapport with somebody, 
and I feel like rapport is the key word of this of this interview. Uh-huh. Um, that really that's what gets you hired. Um, you know, if 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 someone can send you an email that says, you know, we need the pages by tomorrow, and you know, can you believe it was on Rick and Morty last night? You know that. <laughs> I know, right? Um, that uh, that's huge. Um, and you know. If you're going to be going to a lot of shows and see the same people over and over again, it's great if you can show them something different each time. Um, you know, if, if you're somebody who has a webcomic that updates on a regular basis, then that's easy. Um, otherwise, you know, if you have a new mini-comic each time, just, uh, you know, something to sort of, you know, in addition to the fact that you're becoming familiar, also, you know, keep your artwork fresh. Wow. Keep your artwork fresh. I mean, they have 10 classes a semester, I think. <laughs> I don't think that's an issue. Wow. Okay. That's uh, that's cool. Um, what I want to do is, oh no, you know what? Two more things before I, I, we open up for Q and A. Um, can you talk to me about what does a uh, an actual pitch look like? Like a creator-owned professional pitch. What what is the thing that that won't get thrown and it'll be taken seriously by an editor? Um, I mean, the most important thing for me when I get a pitch is that it's short. Mm -hmm. Um. Because as an editor, you know, you're working on, you know, five to ten projects at a given time. Right. Anytime you're looking at pitches is sort of in your spare time. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody wants to look at pitches because everybody wants to discover stuff. Mm. But everybody finds it really difficult to, to find a minute to do it. Right. Um, one, of the, one of the very last things that I did at Dark Horse, very embarrassingly, um, is I, I picked up a box of very old pitches and looked through all of them before I left because I would have felt just incredibly terrible if no one had ever looked at them before I quit. Uh, um, some of them, I noticed, had been published by other publishers in the meantime. Nice. So that that does happen. Pitches pile up. Mm -hmm. um, but, so I mean, the biggest things are they, they should be pretty short mm -hmm. because it really doesn't take that long to tell if you like something. Right. And so, you know, everything else is sort of extraneous. Mm -hmm. um, the big thing for me is that it should just tell you what it's going to look like. You know, okay. if you can have three to five story pages that are, you know, completely drawn, ideally colored and lettered, or just lettered if it's going to be black and white. Right. Um, and then go from there to a short synopsis. Like, my ideal pitch is a cover page that has, like, just one paragraph, three to four sentences of the general idea of what you're selling. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, your personal information and, you know, maybe a nice spot illustration or something. Mm -hmm. You turn the page, you have five pages of your comic, you turn the page, you have one page, two at maximum, that has a synopsis of what the rest of the story will be. Um, and it should be the whole story, beginning, middle, and end. You know, you'll never sell an editor by saying, and you can't believe how it finishes. Because, you know, they, they need to know before they agree to buy it. Because um, So you have to spoil it for them. You have to spoil it. Um, I mean, an editor is not reading a pitch to read... Um, a crackling story. Uh -huh. They're reading it to see if this is the basis for something they can sell. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I, I my personal philosophy is you don't know what a story is about until you know the ending. So you know, just leaving that out, you're sort of you're sort of cutting yourself off at the knees. You're 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 saying I'm selling you something, but I can't tell you what. Um, and someone who's going to invest a bunch of months uh, or years in working on that and a lot of their company's money and put their credibility on the line with their bosses by selling it, just sort of can't do that. Wow. You guys get that? 
Well, because I know, um, I know even even some of my my former classmates. You know, we'll discuss this stuff all the time, and we'll say, well, maybe I'll just do a full issue and just send it out. You know, mm-hmm. but you guys, I mean, you don't want that. Those five pages will do. I mean, know. there's nothing wrong with a full. Like, if you if you can show that you can complete a whole issue, right, and like have it be done and look good, right. I mean, that definitely doesn't hurt. Okay. okay. Um, you know, I, I'm there's somebody that I'm consulting with right now who has their completed graphic novel, right, and they're trying to figure out if they want to move on to the next project or if they want to get this graphic novel reprinted mm-hmm. by a publisher sort of in a nicer format. Right. And my advice for them was, no, you know, use your graphic novel as your calling card. Send that to editors. Hope they read it. Hope they like it. Okay. But then pitch them something else. You know, show uh, them you can make a thing and gotcha. then give them the opportunity to help you make the next thing. So there is value in that as well. Oh, definitely. Okay. I mean, you know, the the five pages is sort of just the idea of you can make a whole comic page and you can make more than one of them. Right. But if you can make a whole issue, that's great, too. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And there are some publishers that, that are happy to buy a completed thing mm. and publish that. I mean, at Dark Horse, there was a lot of pride taken in the fact that, you know, editors at Dark Horse get their hands dirty and really help you develop a story. Right. So there are some editors at Dark Horse who would be less inclined to buy something that's complete. Right. But if you can show, here's a whole first issue, mm-hmm. and here's my one-page synopsis for issues three through four, mm-hmm. that can't hurt. Okay, that's that. I think that's that's very valuable information. My my next question is: so you get a pitch, you dig it, mm-hmm. right? So now you have this. You know, you're you're like, okay, I want to support this. I want to I want to take this to the next level. What does that look like? What do you do with it from there? Do you take it to you know whoever like the president or you know VP or whatever? Or like, how does that work? Um. Well, at Dark Horse, you have to take it to the president first. Okay. Um, any any project that gets considered at Dark Horse mm-hmm. gets okayed by Mike Richardson to be considered. Wow. Um, I mean, and that's, that's so cool. That's a less arduous pro- process than it sounds like. Right. Like, I've never seen him like read a whole pitch. You know, uh-huh. it's it's an even more abbreviated because you know he's been doing this. Yeah. Several times as long as I have. And he's so hired you because he trusts you to to have good judgment. Too. Yes. Um, but also, I mean, he can you know. It, it doesn't take me very long to figure out if I like something. It takes right. him even less time. Right. So, you know, yeah. you show him that. You show him the art. Mm-hmm. Um, the art is a lot more important than the story for a lot of people. So, you know, if, if he likes the art, it's going to go into the, the approvals process. Right. Um, uh. He's not always going to know what the story is exactly. Okay. Um, other publishers, I bet, work differently. Mm-hmm. But the basic idea is that you take it up the chain, and all the things that you loved about it as an editor aren't necessarily what you're going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as an editor, you love the story, you love the art. Mm-hmm. Um, as the accounting department, they love if they think that it'll sell, you know, 20,000 copies. Okay. And so your job as editor at that point is to sort of translate what you liked about the pitch mm-hmm. into terms that look a little better on a balance sheet. Okay. Um, you know, what is this art similar to? Mm-hmm. You know, what other books that sold really well would the person who likes this book have liked? Um, you know, if it's a name person, what are their other books? Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's something about the story that is going to hit, you know, the culture at the right moment, what's that? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a weird process of sort of going, I love this book, and here's why, and then here are the separate reasons why you will love it. Right, right. So you you're you're really like a bridge though between the artist. Um, we may not be able to communicate like, oh, well, it will sell to this demographic at this percentage because of da 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 da. Right. You'll be able to do that, you know. Sort of. <laughs> I mean, I'll, usually I go to the marketing department mm-hmm. and talk to them about what I like about it, and, and uh-huh. they will help me out with 
okay. with crafting our sort of internal pitch. Okay. Um, but yeah, there is also a degree to which, as an editor, you know, you build up credibility. Mm -hmm. You know, you bring in a bunch of projects that you know win awards and make money. Mm. That next pitch that you make is a little easier. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. So, what uh, as in terms of sales is you know I guess deemed as okay. This was a success. You know, like is there a number? Is there like oh as long as it hits twenty thousand or thirty thousand or you know three hundred thousand, you know then it's a win. Anything that hits three hundred thousand. Anything. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. Right. Um, if, uh, I mean, it depends on the project. Like a uh -huh. licensed book mm -hmm. where we're paying a lot of money to, you know, Fox or whatever. Right. Really needs to sell in the twenty to 30000 Okay. A creator-owned book where the, um, where the budget isn't, isn't that high. Right. You know, can get away with 8 to 10. I mean, we, we prefer it to be above 10, maybe right. more like 15. Okay. Because... Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how true this is, but there is sort of the theory that, you know, if you if you put out a lot of books that sell six thousand copies, the retailers go, "That's a publisher that sells six thousand copies." When I sell six thousand, when it sells six thousand, that means I order four. So the next Dark Horse book, I order four. Oh, okay. So you try, obviously, you know, you don't want anything to sell, you know, six thousand. You'd love everything to sell ten to fifteen. Okay. Um, so for creator-owned book, that ten to fifteen range is usually. For us, considered, you know, it's profitable. Um, it's definitely, you know, worth marketing's time. You know, the writer and artist are going to make royalties on it. But then, you know, on the other end, something like Saga, you know, sells fifty, sixty thousand. And you know, for for an Image book, when Image is putting out, I don't even know anymore. Like it seems like forty or fifty comics a month at this yeah, point. Yeah, a lot. It's a lot. You do need to sell more in that like thirty to forty range to stand out from that pack. Okay. All right, cool. Now, as an editor, do you do you have any you know say? Now, I guess becoming a freelance guy, are you going to be offering your advice on hey, you can market yourself this way as far as uh, you know getting the name out there so we can get a bigger audience? Like, are you going to be consulting with that I kind mean, of advice? As a well? little bit. I I sort of I do a lot more of like you're sp you're pitching this as a three issue miniseries, but really you're going to make more money if you just make it um, you know an eighty page graphic novel. There's okay. there's you know, um, by doing three issues, you're digging enough of a hole that your graphic novel has to dig its way out of monetarily. Um, so I, I'm I'm doing a lot of consulting in that kind of thing, like format and sort of what what will make your project visible and salable above and beyond the story. But like how a person should get their name out there, like if I know how to do that, I'd I'd already be like working sixty hours a week, you know, <laughs> right. making Hollywood money. <laughs> the day is still young. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, you guys. There you have it. There's the first half of the great interview with Brendan Wright. Uh, for the full interview and video, check out the Cuba School YouTube page. A link will be in the show notes. And please hit us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, all that. Links, are, links as always, are in the show notes. Uh, once again, thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time.